Christmas special of the podcast panel show that wants to do the right thing in any situation. For example, what is the right way to pull a cracker? Just be yourself, mate, you're a legend. (laughs) (laughs) We're at the Phoenix in London, I'm Danielle Ward, and with me trying to do the right thing this Christmas... If you Google his name and Christmas, you get an adorable video of a Lego Michael singing a Christmas song. Happy Christmas, everyone. It's Michael Legg. And with him, she's funnier than Mads Mikkelsen and Hamlet combined. It's Sophie Hagen. And on my right, if you Google her name and Christmas, you get a picture of Nish Kumar. Super Furry Animals tribute band. It's Alice James. <laughs> that's sexy. That is sexy. Well, that description has made my decades. <laughs> On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me round one. The importance of being right. Just like someone who doesn't know how to use a nutcracker searching for pictures of cracking nuts, I've run into some unexpected problems online. In this round, I'm going to give each team a seasonal scenario and they're going to tell me the right thing to do according to the boys from the NYPD Choir's internet. (laughs) Michael and Sophie. It's Christmas morning, Santa has been, and he's left you both a £10 scratch card. Lucky. Still, it's better than the single text you got of him last year. It's not Santa, it's my dad. Anyway, before dinner, but after the crushing disappointment of your family, you... (laughs) You really like to have a jolly walk and walk you do into the snowy mountains. But after three hours, you sit down for a traditional Christmas cry. Your... Your sobbing and convulsing is so loud it dislodges the snowshoe. Shelf, ho ho ho. <laughs> so, what is the right way to survive an avalanche according to mentalfloss.com? People survive avalanches? Some people do. So, yes! <laughs> yes, they do! Do you like the snow, Michael? Are you a fan of, of the snow? I fucking hate the snow. I, I hate everything. Every single thing. Let me list them. Oh. I hate the snow. It's not a fan. No, it's, uh, well, you... it's very dangerous. It is? Do you know what? I saw an old woman slip in the snow once. And look how and... much you enjoyed it. No, you were laughing now. I'm only enjoying it now because I just realised no one helped her. I mean, I was there. Yeah. <laughs> Sophie, what would you do if an avalanche descended upon you? It just, it can't be that bad, can it? Like, snow's quite... <laughs> That's what they say. It's quite light. It's like anal sex. It's... it's... <laughs> it can be, it Every can be that day, bad. I'm in the middle yeah. of an avalanche. Yeah. <laughs> you just really need to trust your avalanche. <laughs> I'd say the safe word and it would stop well I mean the answer does involve spitting but um Sophie good answer are you not taught this sort of stuff at school in Denmark I don't know how you're imagining Denmark Denmark is like the flattest isn't it it's the flattest yeah I've imagined completely the (laughs) no you know what they would teach there was a security kind of weird guy he came to our school and he taught us what to do if we fell and our face landed in like a puddle so we wouldn't drown <laughs> I think it was just take your head up and that was it. <laughs> it's good to know do you get 
much snow in Denmark, Sophie? Yeah, I think it's the No, it's not the same, because this country closes down if you get snow, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it does. What's if we get weather, you? if we get... Yeah, we, get <laughs> can, we can only take tech bit. You say that, Sophie. Yeah. <laughs> I've been to Denmark, and I only went once, and it was shut, so... <laughs> what time did you go? In the morning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> then it should be so I got, you know, those £99 boats over to Denmark? And yeah, was... they're deals given away with tabloid newspapers. Yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, you collect your tokens. You can and... fly it. <laughs> <laughs> You should, you should be romantic. I thought, just something romantic about going by boat. And uh, I got... Going by ship, yeah. Going by ferry, not romantic. It's not romantic. <laughs> You're basically going by urinal. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know, the saddest thing was I ordered a buffet breakfast, but I was so seasick I could only have beans. Really put <laughs> Syria into perspective, doesn't it? <laughs> Ellis, um, you like skiing, don't you? No, I... Are you... Oh, good, you no, said no, that. No, no, no. You go I've, skiing? I've been once... It was all right, it was okay, although um, oh, it's just very difficult to justify the fact that I've been skiing with my carefully crafted on-stage persona. <laughs> so I went, but I, I took it very easy. I actually read a superb book on the history of boxing. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my opinion on avalanches is that it's like you're given advice on how to deal with an attack by a grizzly bear or a shark. If you have got the wherewithal, during a shark attack to think, oh, hang on, something about punching them in the eye. <laughs> then you are a different kind of person to me. So if I, I, I you know... Well, I would the rock in the eye, that's yeah. our answer. <laughs> if I, if I was the caught in an avalanche and I had Wi-Fi, I'd send an eye message. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, keep it snappy, yeah. by all means, emoji, sort of sad face <laughs> with <laughs> snowflakes for tea. <laughs> yeah. Snowflake, snowflake, sad face. <laughs> snowflake, snowflake. I've been skiing. Have you? <laughs> no. Fucking have, mate. <laughs> Tell you the worst thing about skiing is, my skiing instructor said, well, this is how you stop skiing, because I just stopped by falling. That was how I did it. I just <laughs> fell over. He went, no, if you bend, you know, your skis in a bit so they cross, I'm not be doing that. He went, well, you're not doing it right. I went, I am doing it fucking right. And then he watched me do it, and he went, you are doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> you actually defy all laws of skiing. <laughs> You, do you like a white Christmas, Margaret? All right, it covers up dog shit, doesn't it? It does. That's, the, that's my positive take on snow. My favourite, I don't know, like, we, I'll put this to the panel. Um, mine and Margaret's friend Andy, uh, my favourite fact oh about Andy God. is he, he won't wank on Christmas Day. <laughs> I mean, to be fair to Andy, I think he's relaxed that rule now, but when he was young, so, when on. he was young, he thought uh, it was wrong. Yeah. So, what, what, what was he doing during the Queen's speech? <laughs> Sophie and Michael, what is the one thing you could wear that would massively improve your chances in an avalanche? Avalanche reversing socks. Yeah. <laughs> ben, what's the answer? I mean, not much anyone's said, to be honest. Oh, but, uh, no. but I am going to give half a mark to uh, Margaret and Ellis. According to mentalfloss.com, you can take one huge step towards survival by wearing an avalanche beacon, a small radio that will transmit your location to the rescue crews. Well, you get saying emojis is the same as an avalanche beacon. You reckon? <laughs> Is there a yeah. sort of GPS? Yeah, if you're sending an iMessage. Okay, I'll give you another half for that. Because <laughs> it's Christmas. 
So here's the other half mark. So if you're caught up in an avalanche, try to swim, in inverted commas, to the top of the cascade to avoid being trapped under debris. You don't have to be as graceful as an Olympic freestyle champ, just violently thrashing around so you don't sink will suffice. So half a mark for punching the avalanche. (laughs) And then we have spitting can save your life. As soon as you stop moving, quickly work to open a space in front of your face. Not only will this air pocket give you room to breathe, it will give you space to spit. Note where gravity carries your spit, then dig in the opposite direction. See? Yeah. It's like anal sex. (laughs) (laughs) Why are you digging during (laughs) Margaret and Alice, it's the night before Christmas and all through the house you can hear next door listening to the best ever Christmas film, Jingle All The Way. You are so jealous and excited that you self-medicate with booze and Benadryl and are soon sound asleep. But what's that noise on the roof? The clop-clop of reindeer? The soft thud of a snowman coming to life. Mary Poppins in that chimney boat doing a dance. No, it's a pigeon. Oh no, you forgot to get the turkey out of the freezer. <laughs> and Has the a... pigeon come to tell us that? It's a magical time of year, isn't it? All connects. Um, and it's a ten-pounder. Imagine the vagina that came out of. It was meant to defrost in the fridge for two and a half days. You've got guests coming over at one. You've ruined Christmas for everyone, Margaret. So what is the right way to defrost a turkey at short notice, according to stilltasty.com? How long have we got? Uh, So your friends are coming over in five hours. Okay. Well, Adrian Mole, his mum does it in the bath, doesn't she? She runs it into the hot water tap in the bath and cries at the same time. (laughs) I can't remember how that turned out. (laughs) Well, they got divorced. Yeah. Really cuddle it, really. Yeah, really cuddle it. You've got access to a big chainsaw, I mean, you could chop it up into little cubes and then microwave them individually. (laughs) I mean, you're going to lose points on presentation. (laughs) (laughs) Any dinner that involves a chainsaw is all right by me. (laughs) What about, what if we had like a little kind of like really hot box we could call it an oven and (laughs) we could put it in there and then it's probably far-fetched Sophie oh I'm so sorry we have them in Denmark you should try it (laughs) why don't you try loving it until it eventually dies of old age (laughs) have you ever had a Christmas dinner eating disaster Margaret no, um, the only boy who ever fancied me at school, uh, his first girlfriend, I turned him down. Well, I didn't turn him down, he never asked me out. He just drew a picture of me wearing some dungarees and saying, rights for dykes. And he thought, he thought that I would go out with him because of that. Anyway, his first girlfriend, he invited around for Christmas dinner. And as a joke, he and his father stuffed the turkey with some old, dirty wife fronts. Fuck. For her to discover, yeah, made her, um, I think made her carve it and then get the wife fronts out. And they are happily married. No, they're probably probably not. This sounds like a fever's dream. Yeah, it's horrible. horrible. You have Christmas on Christmas Eve, don't you? Yeah, sort of. Oh, don't play with the form, Margaret. My husband's half German, so we do German Christmas, where the baby Jesus comes to the door at 6pm on Christmas. <laughs> really? Really? It's weird. God, I hate other cultures. <laughs> Sophie, what do you have for Christmas dinner in Denmark? We have duck. Yeah, see Ooh, my previous and point. <laughs> and brown potatoes. It's like you put little potatoes in sugar 
there are always articles coming out saying, it's like cake, don't think it's a vegetable. We're like, shh, it's a vegetable. And it's the best, sugary potatoes. Yeah, look at your little faces, you all want it. <laughs> it's so, Danish Christmas food is really, really good. Michael, what do you have on your vegan Christmas In Northern dinner? Ireland, we have bombs. Is that what you want? Delicious, delicious bombs. Yeah. We all invite the IRA round. But as a vegan, what do you have for Christmas dinner? Solitude. <laughs> no, but do you, do you have an uproast? No, that's shit. I make a pie. <laughs> and because I, I like to spend Christmas Day alone, it's not my choice, it's everyone else's. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. I'm on my own. I make a pie and I make the word cunt on, <laughs> on the top of the pie. Just like Linda McCartney used to. <laughs> Do you know what? I was a vegetarian in my early 20s and the first vegetarian Christmas, I went down for Christmas dinner at sort of 1pm and I had my sort of nut roast, which my mum had made specially, and then she put turkey on a saucer next to it. <laughs> <laughs> I said, what's that for, mum? And she went, oh, I don't know, I thought, just in case you'd changed your ethics. <laughs> for something for the nut roast to eat. Yeah, no. <laughs> I had um, a friend who was vegetarian for a long time, but he was vegetarian, but he also ate black pudding. And I, and I said, no, how does that work? And he said, well, it's blood, isn't it? So you can get, you can get blood from the pigs without them dying. And I was like, from a you sort of imagine them in church halls having little biscuits. Yeah. So your suggestion is to put the turkey in a bath? Yeah, hot bath. A really really treat bath. it. <laughs> Bit of meaty. Some candles. Yeah. Give it a massage. Yeah. Put on KD Lang. Yes, Spotify playlist. <laughs> really let it sort of not chill out, sort of hot up. Um, and then after an hour, sort of cut it up with a chainsaw into tiny cubes. And then I would individually microwave my cubes of defrosting turkey. <laughs> and that's when the cooking would really begin. And <laughs> um, then. I mean, I don't think I'm giving any points, but do shout out if you disagree. According to stilltasty.com, there is a way to defrost your frozen turkey much more quickly than in a fridge, but the process will require a lot more attention from you. Make sure the frozen turkey is in a leak-proof package or plastic bag, and then submerge that bag in cold tap water. You've got to change the water every 30 minutes to ensure it stays at the right temperature. Never use warm or hot water, as that can cause the outer layer of the food to heat up to a temperature where the harmful bacteria begin to multiply. So using the cold water method, you should estimate about 30 minutes of defrosting per pound of turkey. So your 10-pound turkey will take five hours. The exact time. Oh. The, exact, the clue is in the question. Uh, <laughs> uh, but you will need to cook the turkey as soon as it's completely thawed. When I was researching this, there was a way that if you've got small bits of turkey, you could microwave it. It's not in the answers, but I could give Alice half a point, right? Yay! At the end of that round, what are the points, producer Ben? Michael and Sophie have a very healthy zero, and Margaret and Alice have one and a half. Just like waiting till after lunch for your good present, this round is agony. <laughs> In this round, I'll be getting the panel to solve the festive problems of our audience, but before that, let's unwrap the gift of their brains by getting them to work out a real agony aunt problem. Michael, could you read this, please? Love to. Dear agony aunt, my father-in-law recently gave my wife and me a pricey Christmas present. 
he completely paid up front for our funerals. <laughs> That's the sort of thing my dad would do. Yeah. <laughs> the gift was so unusual and so unexpected that we <laughs> gave awkward thanks. <laughs> what is an awkward thanks? Oh, I, I, oh right. you, sh you, you, sh you shouldn't have. Okay. <laughs> anyway, the problem is this. He has set us up with the local funeral director to have our burials in the town where we grew up and where my father-in-law lives. But we want to be buried where we live now. <laughs> I mean, how do we handle this? That's it. That's it. Do you care where you're buried, Margaret? I mean, I'd rather it wasn't sort of in the living room. <laughs> you chainsawed up and put in the walls, yeah? <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean, I don't, I don't want—I don't want people to do a Mussolini to me, but uh, sort of <laughs> hanging up in you know, sort of, you know, town square, being kicked, and all that sort of stuff. Wouldn't you like to be buried somewhere fancy, though? Westminster Abbey. Yeah. <laughs> and if Josh gets a second series, fingers crossed. <laughs> do you have the um, like a, a place of the graveyard where people get buried, like in the anonymous? Yeah. Part of the yeah. That's why my grandmother wants to be buried. She brought me to the churchyard and she said, it was my birthday, she said, that's... <laughs> she said, you just need to know that when I die, that's where I want to be buried. And then I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. And then she understood that I hadn't understood her, so she said, you know, because you never visit me. <laughs> oh, my God. And I said, that's very practical, because then I won't have to fix the gravestone. So Danish. <laughs> Michael, what do you want to happen to you when you die? I'd like to be cremated. And then I want my ashes to be sent to Famke Jansen. <laughs> and I want her to turn my ashes into a drink. And I want her to drink my ashes. I want to spend all eternity in Famke Jansen. <laughs> I think that's I always romantic. Get... Thank you. <laughs> Margaret, you must have planned. You're Catholic. You must have thought about it. No, yeah. Burial I don't, I don't or really care. cremation? Or... No, I mean... Burial's not very environmentally friendly, really, no. is it? It's, Minced. Uh... <laughs> Much better. Ben, what's the answer? Is it? I don't know if you could do this legitimately, but could you chop up the bodies and be buried in two different places? Like, oh, I reckon sort of, if you were So, a couple of arms in a thumpton and then the rest no, in Kettering. they let you do that. Do and they? I don't think that's what this answer... I mean, nobody's given any answer at all, have they, to this problem? I think you should probably just speak to the father-in-law. Do I get a point? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this advice comes from Dear Prudence at Slate.com. She said, I hope you and your wife are both in good health because people in your circle, including you, seem to have spent a lot of time thinking about your final resting place. Um, this gift is not only awkward, it's bizarre and presumptuous. <laughs> Your wife needs to talk to her father and explain this isn't what the two of you had in mind. So, point to Michael. Let's hope your father-in-law gets to use his own prepaid plot many, many years before you two get to use yours. So, now we've got uh, audience problems. Is Joe here? So, Joe has got a problem for the panel to help answer, which is, why do my married relatives give me a joint present when I am expected to give them one each? Oh, Ooh, Joe. Um, wow, everyone got haunted. Yeah. <laughs> I saw some shit fireworks. Uh, what? <laughs> what relatives are you talking about? Siblings. To each other? 
Sometimes it's like a present from the whole family. So my brother and his wife and their four children, one of whom is 19 now, um, will give me a joint present. And how do you know that they wouldn't be all right with you giving them a family present? Oh, I tried that last year and, um, and it kind of seemed thing. to go okay, I, I think. But then I began to feel a bit mean, particularly as I don't have any kids, so I'm relying on my nephews and nieces to look after me in my old age. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe just make that clear to them and that's, yeah. that's their gift. Michael. Just buy everyone in my family a bottle of wine. Beer. Just that, that, that's for that house. That's for that house. A house? You buy the yeah. house. Yeah. Yeah. When I when I was eight, when I was eighteen, my mum had uh, obviously run out of ideas, and uh, on Christmas morning, I remember unwrapping four individually wrapped cans of Budweiser. <laughs> my friend has five siblings, and they had an aunt who used to give them a pack of post-it notes between them. <laughs> Fam goat to share. Um, that is the best way to do it, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Just give them a charity donation. Aww. Yeah, a worthy yeah. but boring present. Yeah. And they won't say a word until you leave. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> has any of that helped, Joe? Uh, yes, it has helped. Would you a like lot. a vegan David Bowie cake? They're nice. You want I, a vegan I've cake? given up vegan for Christmas. I hope your nephew pulls a fucking plug on you with your <laughs> Is Neil? Is Neil in the audience? Neil has a problem. Neil's problem is, where shall I go for Christmas? Parents are a nightmare, so a no-go. Could be a quiet one at home, but open to ideas. Do you know what? I wouldn't mind a Christmas alone. I think it sounds quite nice, actually. It's great. I eat what I want. I drink what I want. Naked as the day you were born. Exactly. (laughs) The day before I was born. (laughs) (laughs) Like a vegan umbilical cord that you then chew halfway through the Queen's speech. Sophie, where are you spending Christmas? Um, In Denmark. And um, I feel really horrible about my Christmas tradition now because... My brother Is comes it over. killing people? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my brother comes by and then we give uh, him and his girlfriend a bottle of wine. It's which good. apparently is not okay. Uh, <laughs> and then at six we start eating and then we give each other presents and then at seven we don't know what to do. <laughs> See, that's my experience at the German Christmas as well. That yeah, it's, just eat. it's confusing. The baby Jesus is gone. Well, what are you going to do? Does Dan, your husband, have to be dress the baby up? Jeepers? <laughs> is, that, is it like just going to He goes Santa? to the door. Now, we say it's Santa because the baby Jesus thing is, is weirder and my daughter would have questions. How does baby Jesus ring the doorbell? <laughs> Question number one. Yeah. My... On, on Christmas Eve. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> Unless, literally, he's on side of Mary's vagina. <laughs> Joseph's going, nothing to do with me. Um, in, the, in the early 80s, my dad volunteered to be Father Christmas at, like, a community centre, and all these children went to, you know, see Santa and all that sort of stuff, and he gave them presents, and he, he hired a really expensive costume, but he drove to the community centre in the costume uh, with a change of clothes in the boot truck, but obviously he'd forgotten his, like, civvy shoes. So at the end, when he went out to have, like, a mince pie with the people who'd organised it, and he was wearing Santa's boots, <laughs> all the kids were like, oh, my God! <laughs> 
he's killed Santa and he's stolen his fucking shoes. And then he was in this awful situation where he was like, I haven't killed Santa. Santa doesn't exist. Merry Christmas. Why didn't he just say I had to borrow them and Santa yeah. was lovely? But what, Santa delivering presents in his bare feet? Are you insane? At this time of year? Why did they think it killed him, though? I don't know, it was the 80s. It was a very different time, wasn't it? Neil, has that helped? Yeah, all right, I will be at a vegan Christmas at home. Well, that's beautiful. Points to Ellis. And you could spend the day in your upstairs window calling out to kids. <laughs> yeah. You there, what day is this? Come on. Maybe holding up Santa's boots and going, look what I've done. Producer Ben, what are the scores? Well, Michael and Sophie now have one point, and Margaret and Ellis now have two and a half. It's time to ask the Christmas expert. Ask, 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 ask. This is the round where the panel tried to guess what someone with an expert-sized brain is thinking, so let's welcome today's festive expert, it's historian Greg Jenner! (laughs) Greg works on horrible histories. Um, If you could celebrate Christmas in any era, Greg, when would it be? Probably Viking times. What did they do? Well, they didn't really do Christmas. Oh! Everybody's so festive today. (laughs) Are you not a fan of Christmas? Tell I, us the stories. Uh, I, I, am a, I am a fan, intellectually. Oh. <laughs> right, panel, in a moment you're going to have to second-guess what Greg would do if he has placed Quantum Leap style into a Christmas-related historical scene. <laughs> uh, but before that, you've got a chance to get to know him a little bit better by asking him some questions. So has anybody got a question for Greg? What's going to happen next? <laughs> <laughs> because like, people who know history really well... They know about it repeating. It's, you know, it makes sense. Uh, probably the next thing to happen on a global scale, probably plague. Oh, brilliant. That's sort of better than yeah. yeah. I think so. But we thought that with swine flu and SARS, SARS. and that was nothing. Yeah. Really boring. It'll come, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> if you could go back in time and, like, you're about to kill Hitler, <laughs> what if you fancied him? <laughs> What do you mean, if? <laughs> do you know what? Yeah, but you can fancy someone's photo, but it's not until you really meet and go, yeah. oh, holy crap, that is Even an enigmatic more, yeah, yeah. person. It's true, Hitler was not much of a looker. Stalin, however, hot. Yeah, yeah. 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 As a younger man, he had that lovely, thick, When he was young hair. and less evil. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So here's our first question for Greg. It is 1868, and Greg is a Victorian guard working in Newgate Prison. He's working the Christmas Day shift because he's got Easter off, and his kids are dicks, doesn't spend it with them. It is almost the end of a long day, and the lags are eating their dinner. Just then, a right tough jailbird shouts over to Greg demanding more sprouts. What would Victorian guard Greg do in this situation? I would imagine that there would be no sprouts on the menu and they would just be told to go back to their cells and read the Bible. What, so they're having gruel? Yes, absolutely, yeah. Ellis, you played a prison inmate in the BBC Three yes. sitcom Crims. Yes, I did. <laughs> did that get a second series, Ellis? <laughs> Listen, the guys at Westminster Abbey are on hold, okay? 
I did. Um, I, I remember I did meet someone who was in prison, and he said that he he kept reoffending and going back into prison, and he said that um, when he stopped for good was the time he was in prison for Christmas, and they served um, top deck shandy, and it was just the straw that broke the camel's back. Because like, I can't, I can't live like this. <laughs> I, I, I'm actually sort of desperate to know the answer to this. Can we just get Greg to tell us? <laughs> Let's do more guessing. No, no, I, I, I really want to know. We're going to win is a fucking done deal. I've had a word with Ben. <laughs> I'm really desperate to know what the Brussels sprout situation was in Victorian prisons. <laughs> Greg, what is the answer to this question? Surprisingly, you are wrong with the gruel. Oh. The exact opposite. Oh. What? What's the opposite? The opposite of gruel. <laughs> I suppose. Gold Haribo. Not gruel. <laughs> Kids and grown-ups love yeah, it, so... Yeah, mix for the fussier prisoners. <laughs> Not quite, Haribo. No, they got a slap-up roast beef delicious meal. Very expensive. And the guards served it to them. And everyone would be nice. And then they'd all watch Wallace and Gromit. <laughs> <laughs> so why, why is there a history of role reversal around Christmas? It goes back a long way. It goes all the way back to the Romans, actually. So the thinking was... And if you read A Christmas Carol and Dickens and his lovely novel, Scrooge goes from being a miser to being a really nice guy at the end. And we all go, oh, he's been touched by the ghost. Not in that way, not in a... <laughs> emotionally. But actually, this is what the Victorians kind of wanted Christmas to be. They wanted it to be one day of the year where everything went upside down. The Christmas cracker was invented so that children could beat their dads at a tug of war. And, oh, really? And the ancient Romans had done a similar thing called Saturnalia, which is a big old piss-up. Hunter uh, Deck presented it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it was a week-long festival in December, and everyone got really drunk, loads of gambling, loads of eating, but the slaves would be cooked Christmas meal, or Saturnalia meal, by their masters. And then it we would all have reversed. lost that! <laughs> yeah. That's really... Uh, when did we stop being nice to poor people on Christmas Day? When was it? What year? <laughs> Thatcher. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> December 1979. <laughs> Well, the second question we have for Greg is, it's Christmas Day in 1066, and Greg is William the Conqueror. Because Westminster Abbey, surprisingly, isn't already booked, Greg has decided to have his coronation ceremony on that day. At the start of the ceremony, the Archbishop asked the assembled English noblemen if they will accept William as their king. They reply with a hearty shout of, yes, but oh no... The assembled Norman guards don't speak English and they mistake the shout as a sign of riotous mutiny. What would Greg, as William... It's very convoluted. Yeah, what would Greg, as William the Conqueror, completely. do in this situation? Are any of these like based on Danish traditions? Because so far he's <laughs> being expected. Then I would know all the answers. <laughs> Are you descended from Vikings? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, the good ones. Which ones? <laughs> the ones that stayed at home in Denmark. <laughs> Because they respected England. The ones who, the, the, the ones who just pillaged. <laughs> Sophie, do you get annoyed when they have the Vikings with the pointy up horns? Because they didn't have them. I do, but that's because in Denmark, the people who wear those are football fans, and they're annoying in themselves. So when you see them, you don't think Vikings and cultural inappropriation. You think, oh, football. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever had an embarrassing moment where you haven't understood someone speaking another language? Um, Did you understand that? <laughs> Do you ever talk to people in Welsh just to upset them? No. I mean, I would speak Welsh with my parents. I wouldn't speak English with my parents and all that sort of thing. Do, but, but they speak Welsh? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
I, I went to school in quite a, a rural area, and the real farmers in my class, they spoke such an intense colloquial dialect, I routinely didn't understand what they were saying. <laughs> so, for instance, hello is shumai, so I'd say shumai, and they go, Go, yeah, anyway, lo- lovely chatting to you. Um, <laughs> well, that was weekly. And then you get the odd little hint. <laughs> Table class. <laughs> so this is largely a heckling question, Michael. If you were heckled by some dicks at your wedding, for example, right. would you have them slaughtered? Yeah, do you know, I think that's definitely what Greg would do. He'd go in there and just go, these are dicks. They can't even speak English. But the dicks are his own family, because he also, he's William the Conqueror, so he's, he's oh, Norman, yeah. yeah. So it's like having your yeah, own mum slaughtered. Give me 20 minutes, I'll think about it. Whether or not, whether or not if I was the king, I would kill my mum. So sorry, Greg. Yeah. Greg's a historian. Yeah. Greg, it's your coronation. Yeah. The Normans have thought that English are being awful. What would you do in this situation? What would I do, personally? I would probably cry. Oh, OK. What did William the Conqueror do in this situation? William the Conqueror was a much better man than me, in the medieval sense. So he, he responded by just allowing the murder to happen and just carried on with the ceremony while the church caught fire and the women and children were slaughtered. And that, that was his family? No, his family survived. Okay. Uh, but just He's not an animal. <laughs> he was actually quite a nice guy to his wife. But not oh. to not to the English. He didn't step in. He didn't step in. Yes, it happened. Stuff to do. That is such a professional. Yes. That's, what, that's what Liza Minnelli would do. <laughs> yeah. I bet she gets that a lot. You're really like William the Conqueror. Has anyone ever told you that? Uh, yeah, he was a nice guy. Uh, he was called William the Bastard. Why? Yes. Well, he was a bastard. He was illegitimate. But he was also a bit of a bastard. And uh, his stock response to pretty much anyone disagreeing with him was just to cut off their hands and feet. God, I love history. <laughs> um, Who is your favourite evil person from history? Oh, there's so many. So many. Can I do like a top All right, trump? top ten. Top ten. <laughs> My favourite evil person from history, because there was a sort of weird logic to it, was Vlad the Impaler who was ruling in sort of Central Europe and the Turks were going to attack his country and he thought, oh, I can't beat them in battle. The only thing I can do is terrify them. So he rounded up 40,000 people from his own kingdom and he skewered them on stakes and built a human fence around the border of the country. 40,000 dead people skewered vertically, just built a fence and went, come on in then. That's what I do to my own people. Imagine what I will do and to you. And the Daily Mail said, this country's going to hell in a handcart. <laughs> But you see, that is what Liza Minnelli would do. That is what Liza Minnelli would do. <laughs> what is this whole thing about Vlad the Impaler and Dracula? How did that rumour come about? Well, he is Vlad Tepe, Vlad Dracul was his name, so he is technically Dracula. But this he's is, not a vampire. No, but Dracula means son of Dracul, so his father was Dracul, he was Dracula. Where so did the vampires come from? Well, that comes later. I mean, it's a, it's a sort of medieval myth that sort of percolates about, and then in the 19th century, Gothic writers go, ooh. Where would you th- rather have sex with Edward or Jacob? <laughs> Well, I'm a bit of a hugger, and I think Edward would be very cold. Yes. <laughs> so, Jacob. It's always Jacob. And uh, before we let you go, Greg, have you got anything you'd like to plug? Bearing in mind this goes out in the next ten days. Uh, sure, yeah, why not? I will plug my book. Uh, it's called A Million Years in a Day. It's a sort of vaguely amusing, I use that very carefully, history of daily life since the Stone Age. So I've, history I've read of it, and, and, stuff. It's, and it's great, and I'm very jealous, because I've got a history degree, but Greg uses his. <laughs> <laughs> properly. 
I, genuinely, I'm absolutely obsessed by the history of British coal mining. And do you, know what, do you know what that means? It means that when you're on Sweat the Small Stuff, you're really out of sync with the other guests. Because <laughs> Emlyn Williams, who was head of the NUM during the miners' strike 8485, I could do an excellent impression of that. And uh, A, it didn't make the edit. And B, Nick Grimshaw didn't know where to look. <laughs> If you did, like Greg, use your history degree, you then come on this sort of show and, and get asked, where do vampires come <laughs> yeah. from? Which he answered really beautifully. I think he yeah. should have told you to... Very patient man. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, history expert Greg Jenner. soon has anybody else got something they'd like to plug uh josh is on every wednesday night <laughs> 10 30 there's two left so maybe, one by the time maybe. this goes out it'll be on the iplayer though yeah. won't it yes it will be on the iplayer can i plug my uh show at the soho theater Woo! thank you until january 6th but i get to take uh, christmas and new year's off and I'm doing two podcasts. Woo! And one of them, uh, the f- <laughs> first one's called The Guilty Feminist, and that's a live show, so if you could come, all of you. And uh, the other one's called Comedians Telling Stuff, which is just. Michael's been on that. Yeah. Hey. But also, other people, don't worry. And. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you've heard enough of that today, Jesus. I just, I just remembered, maybe that's not the best. <laughs> Stuff. Yeah. Um, have you got anything? I haven't got anything. I to do. Plug. I, you do actually have something. Oh you and I yeah. Are doing a show. We are. Yeah. Yeah. On you're doing the twenty first. It's Vitriola, which is me and uh, Robin Ince. We're doing some shows at the Bloomsbury Theatre on the twentieth and twenty first. Anyway, like your dad giving Krampus a blowy, it's time to do the wrong thing. <laughs> do the wrong thing. Do the wrong thing. Do the wrong thing. To tell me what is the wrongest thing to do in any given situation, the winner gets stuck up Gary Barlow's chimney. <laughs> the round ends when producer Ben blows on his pipes of peace. You see Mummy kissing Santa Claus, what's the wrong thing to do? Start to masturbate slowly. <laughs> I was just going to say join in, but it was just <laughs> Why not? It's Christmas. It's about family. <laughs> Your chestnuts are roasting on an open fire. What's the wrong thing to do? Start to masturbate. <laughs> Why is the slowness so key? Well, that is wrong. Yeah, yeah. Do you mean you use the friction slowly or you do a bit and then stop? Slow friction, thousand yard stare. <laughs> Last Christmas I gave you my heart. What's the wrong thing to do? Uh, ask if you've kept the receipt. <laughs> say, um, hey, Sophie, that was a really nice kiss, but I've decided to stay together with Susie. Oh. <laughs> true story. Happy Christmas. I'm masturbating slowly. <laughs> As the Queen says in her Christmas speech, Feliz never does, bitches! <laughs> so what are the final scores, Ben? They're very close, because I fixed the final round. Ah. Michael and Sophie have four, but Margaret and Ellis win with four and a half. Greg Jenner and me.
me, Danielle Ward. I devised it with producer Ben Walker. We put the script together with extra material from David Reed. Martin White, as always, did the music. Thanks to the Phoenix for having us, and to Natasha Caffrey, Katie Story, and Lucy Arditti for helping out. Do the Right Thing is a Christmas Buzz production for the Christmas internet. Yeah.